Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining the SBC Leaders Podcast. I'm Kelly Keane, Global Relationship Director for SBC. SBC Leaders is a membership of preeminent operators and operator associations formed to provide a forum for their leadership teams in order to share ideas, promote innovation in the sector, collaborate on major issues, and work to enhance the industry's overall reputation. Our next guest on the podcast is Paris Smith, who is the CEO of Pinnacle, a sports book that offers the best odds in the industry, the highest betting limits for every market they provide, and laser focus on the customer. Now in its 23rd year, Pinnacle is a veteran of the industry and has lived through almost its entire evolution. Pinnacle is well known by sports bettors globally and in recent years has made a new name for itself as the best place for esports wagering. Paris has been at the helm as CEO of Pinnacle for almost 15 years. She's a well-known figure in the industry, a regular and well-respected speaker at industry events, a willing mentor and advisor to many leaders in our sector, and was recently inducted into the Sports Betting Hall of Fame in 2017. We very rarely get to hear about her personal views on leadership and how she's leading one of the most successful sports betting operations in the world. It is therefore my pleasure to welcome Paris Smith to the show. Welcome, Paris. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's always an honor to work with SBC. <laughs> well, we're happy to have you as usual. In terms of sports betting, I mentioned, you know, Pinnacle has been around since the very start, since the dot-com boom of 2000. So I'm going to assume it's okay to say you've seen a lot, if not all. What do you think, just to kick things off, what is the most significant thing you've learned in your time as CEO? I think one of the most interesting transitions within the industry was, of course, phone betting going into online. That was the first big milestone, I think. And then it was really how the industry shifted from hardcore bookmaking into being technology companies. So, and now it's shifting back, I think, to, um, you know, really trying to be more customer focused, less technology, you know, well, of course the technology has to drive it, but, you know, really focusing on the customer and the people. I think I also mentioned in my intro that you are very much, Pinnacle is very much the clear leader when, and visionary when it comes to betting on esports. Um, I think I read having offered it since 2010, which seems like a really long time. <laughs> How do you build a culture within Pinnacle, as you say, right, that, you know, continues to innovate, focusing on the technology, but able to set the pace for the betting markets, right, and, and what the customers want? I think for myself as the leader, it's to step back and listen and allow my people mm. to do what they know needs to be done because these are true esports, you know, passionate, they're leaders. Um, and that's where that innovation can come from. Um, it certainly isn't coming from, from me directly, uh, to say the least. But, you know, and it's just constantly getting new people in, keeping your finger on the pulse of the industry. Marco Bloom is absolutely the creme de la creme of esports. He's just constantly always looking to improve and, and keep driving our product forward. And sometimes it's subtle things. You know, sometimes it's not having, you know, something, a brand new look and feel, which is actually coming. Um, but, you know, sometimes it's more about the, the product and the offering that we have and the quality of the product. So, you know, there's just a constant evolution, a constant iteration of what we can do better. 
I'm curious if if you remember sort of that first conversation when someone said we should be offering esports because, like I said, 2010 seems a long time ago. It must yeah. have been completely off the wall back then. Um, I do remember it vividly, and you know, it was Marco just saying. You know, look, I think we should try something different. And it was to engage. It was, you know, to engage the the traders that we had because they do have a passion for it. And we started out, you know, $25 max bets and it just kept growing. And, you know, there was so much confidence in his capability. He'd also grown other products within the organization that he wasn't as passionate about. And he did a phenomenal job. So, you know, we just really allowed him to take the reins and, and drive it. And he did an amazing job. Yeah. What, from, from a business perspective or from our industry perspective, why doesn't the industry understand esports properly yet? And maybe vice versa. Why doesn't esports get gaming yet? Why is it sort of meshed together yet? Yeah. Well, I've been on many a panels where people have said it's, it's a trend, it's a fad, and I'm like, okay. But I think if you don't see the results, if you don't, you know, see the benefits of the results, it's hard to really buy into it because you know, I'm a, I'm a basketball player. I'm not an esports. I'm not a gamer. But, um, you know, if by seeing, you know, the truth is in the pudding and by watching the growth and, you know, and just all of the, the hype around it, you know, I think if you're not part of that world, part of that industry, you really can't get your head around it. My turning point was going to the, uh, the world champions in championships in uh, Berlin I mean, I was already sold, but, you know, even just people would say, oh, there's the Pinnacle CEO and all the gaming guys would get you know, more excited than me walking around ice. <laughs> so I was like, OK, this is nice. <laughs> it was, it was amazing. But, you know, so if you don't if you're not part of the world, if you don't understand it, then, you know, of course, you're not going to see what the potential is or what the benefits are. And then it's also hard to understand it when there's complexities in trading it. You know, you can't just put up esports and make money with it. It's not like you can, you know, we have uh, our biggest issue right now is people taking our lines and, and running their businesses off of it. We're trying to put a halt to that almost. It's very, very complicated. But, you know, you don't have the capability to run the, mis the risk management for it. Of course, you're going to say, oh, esports isn't working. It doesn't make sense. Fortunately, we've got the, the luxury of having the team in place where, you know, their focus is laser focused on constantly improving that. Yeah, I, I fully understand that. Do you do you think that esports fans or gamers also need to understand the betting world as well? Is there a disconnect there? Yeah, at Pinnacle, I think they've proven that they can. Mm. You know, we haven't had anything special. We're yeah. going to be launching something very soon that is catered to them, you know, basically listening to them after all this time. But, um, you know, they've been able to go into our game, our betting site and, you know, translate that into, into their world. Do they like it? No. But that respect that they have, because they can see we know the product, we're not pretending like we know something we don't. It's clear that the guys know what they're doing and, and how to do it. Interesting. I'm going to switch topics a little bit here. I know you, um, Pinnacle is a multinational company. It's global. There's offices all over the world. And you run that business with employees and customers all over the world. What are the yeah. challenges of running 
a company that that is everywhere so to speak especially during you know now we're coming out of it hopefully and this will be my only covid question but especially during the time when you can't travel it was so difficult um you know having offices everywhere the biggest challenge was trying to keep up as everything was slowly shutting down trying to keep up with what's happening in manila what's happening in malta what's happening in the uk that was the most complicated and trying to react to those large numbers of people in an empathetic way because this was such a transition for them. We have a lot of uh, dedication, commitment, and sacrifice from the teams that have multiple teams in different time zones. That's that's huge. And it's that respect for each other. I was up at four because I had a call in Asia because I don't want them to have to be up at four their time. And I just happened to be up, you know, so it's it's a lot of give and take. But at the same time, it helps, you know, fill, fulfill the time zones for the business requirements. And, you know, it also adds a lot of diversity within the organization and localization. I think that's just such a huge thing that people underestimate. If you want to target a market, you need to really live and breathe what, what they know and what they want. So it's required now. Would you say as a leader of a company like that, now that we're fully remote or we had been working for a year fully remote. Are you more available or are you less available to your employees? I'm always available. <laughs> this is, <laughs> I have what's called the pinnacle passion. I'm just, you know, and I always, people are like, oh, I don't want to bother you. I'm like, bother me, you know? And, and I like, you know, people go to a conference. Some people go to a conference and they're busy from 8 a.m. to midnight. You know, they're packed meetings every 30 minutes. Sorry, got to go. I don't do that. And I don't do that in my day. I prioritize. I kind of pop around. I'm sure it's somewhat annoying to my team, but I can handle any situation at any time because I'm not so tied into every, every meeting all day long. I don't really believe in that. Yeah. What's the pinnacle passion? (laughs) You live it, you breathe it, you share it, you own it. It's just... You know, it's so part of me that, and, and there's so many employees that encompass the same thing. We, you know, we might not be the highest salaried company out there. There's companies that are public and they've got massive, massive budgets. And you can't just be here and be here. You have to be here and really want to work. Some people like showing up. Some people like producing and they want to see their results. That's that person for Pinnacle. So we have a very definitive culture (laughs) and uh, who we want, what we look for. Um, We're constantly improving it, right? But it's definitely a a pinnacle passion. Yeah. Good. That's a good lead on to my next question. I want to talk briefly about diversity inclusion, speaking of passion and passion of mine. And you are one of very few female CEOs in the sector and, and have been for quite some time. But not only that, I understand that you have a senior leadership team that is not only gender balanced, but also balanced in terms of ethnicity. You you touched upon that when we were talking about sort of working globally. Mm -hmm. What advantages does that dynamic offer you as a business? Well, it starts out with just getting the best people regardless. And then they happen to have this diversity. You know, there's, there's challenges to it too. But the benefits are you just get to see things from so many different perspectives. You know, it's like he, that's how an Australian would state it. That's, you know, Swedes, we've got uh, Germans, we've got British. It's really um, Asian, of course. I think the benefits are just being able to get 
the best of the best regardless. And, and getting that um, empathy to work together at that executive level. And then it trickles down throughout the entire organization. Do you think the fact that you're a female CEO has lended itself to you being able to get a different mix of people? Because you might look different in a sort of very male-dominated sports world. It might be, but I don't really think so. Like recently, I've noticed that we have some executive roles or high-level roles that we're not getting any female candidates for. We're trying to figure out why is that? And the ones that do come in, they're not quite ready yet. And, you know, and they are like, well, I, I want to work with you. I'd like you to mentor me. And I'm like, that's fantastic. But I don't, I can't do that right now. <laughs> you know, we're all about results. So I don't believe that it, that it has a, a direct impact. Maybe people are more willing to come to the table to apply for the jobs and things like that. But, um, you know, for me, this is something I'm constantly working on. And I struggle with that concept of being a female. I'm just me, you know, and it, and I'm trying to really understand it, respect it. You have taught me so much throughout this <laughs> journey. <laughs> you know, You're always learning all the time. You know, but there's some there's some obvious benefits, you know, uh, and I've, I've just been so blessed with having the most amazing people that I work for, and they've always wanted a female. They want no ego. They want somebody who's empathetic, who listens who, you know, who's funny enough, not a gambler, you know, things like that. I don't think that's me being a female. I feel like that's just me being me. Mm. Definitely. That concept of empathetic leadership is some, one that continues to come up. And I think especially having emerged from, COVID. I'll say a different boat, same storm uh, that we've all been in, uh, is that really that idea of being aware of people's situation and feeling and valuing the people that work for you, not just the output is something that's really important and is a, a theme that I've heard a few times over this past year, year and a half. You also have a daughter who, if she hasn't entered the workforce yet, she's close to it, I think. Right there. She's done. Graduated. Degree in hand. Good. Flying the nest, as they say. But I have a few questions about that. And mm -hmm. I, w I was wondering, would you want her to come work with you? You know, I think that might be the one time where being a female is more complicated. So here I am, and then I'm going to bring my daughter in, you know, I wouldn't want to do that to her. I would actually, you know, if she ever, if it ever happened organically, mm -hmm. but she is super smart. If she had had the opportunity that I had, she's 22, graduated with her MBA. I was 24, screeched through. Uh, yeah. <laughs> minimal uh, degree. You know, if she had had that opportunity where she was somewhere and somebody goes, hey, I need you to work for me, she would have blossomed times 10 mm. from what I've done. But yeah, I want her to find her own path. And if it ever comes back, it does. Uh, she's super smart, super pragmatic. So we'll see. And what do you hope that she's learning from you or has learned from you about leadership? Just to care about people, you know, and do what you love. Because, you know, work is intense. It's, you know, we were all challenged during the last year and a half. And if you did, and this is where you get this transitioning of people. So many people are changing jobs because if you don't love it, it was my crutch to get through everything. And I think, you know, if people that didn't have that, that love for their jobs, you know, they decided, oh, I'm going to look for something different. Yeah.
And I guess oppositely, has she taught you anything about that you take with you to, to the CEO office? Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, my. Um, I think after I've had her, yeah. <laughs> I was a bit of a tyrant. <laughs> yes, yes. And then after I had her, you know, like sometimes I'm talking on the phone with somebody and she's like, Mom, come on now, you can't say that. And then I explain, <laughs> give her some context, mm-hmm. you know. But it's just really about being more patient and listening. She's very calm. And I always try to respect people, but sometimes... You know, you're you're busy trying to get your point across. And, you know, she makes me much more aware of what I say and how I say it. Yeah, they're they're very honest reflections of what our life is like, isn't it? I'm always like, patience! They teach me patience. <laughs> but yeah, that's great. Did you always want to be a CEO? I always wanted to be in charge. Mm. And my first thing was when I started as a clerk taking bets in a sports book, it was like, I want to be a marketing director by the time I'm such and such age. <laughs> and, it, and then I was like, oh, I want to be, you know, because there are so many different terminologies and I know I want to be like the VP. And then I got that. And um, when I was like 26, 27, getting it is one thing, actually doing it. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the tricky part. Yeah. And then I think, you know, I was always there just helping, you know, like for the the majority shareholder of Pinnacle, the previous ones, my other boss, I, I don't want to take, for some reason, it's not in me to take that risk and go run my own company, mm-hmm. but I've always wanted to, you know, I'm a people pleaser. So I've always wanted to make somebody super proud and happy yeah. <laughs> and make them money for lack of a better term. And, uh, and then, you know, when you have such great people that you work for, it just, you know, you just work that much harder. Yeah. So how did you get your first job in a sports book? Oh my God. Was it just available? I was in Antigua, couldn't get a job. And some guy was like, oh yeah, you know, I know this guy. Oh, my company is the biggest company in the world, but I don't need anybody. And he goes, go talk to this guy. And I'm like, I'll never find it. I'm, I'm terrible with direction. Yeah. <laughs> so I was running and I thought, let me just go find it. And I go to this rundown, dilapidated building and I walk in and this guy's like, you know, what are you doing here? And I'm like, I'm here to see Bill Scott. And he goes, come on in, baby. I'm Billy. Um, he was a little bit more colorful with that. Um, and then uh, he hired me. And that's how I got my first job. And then it was just, you know, right time, right place. Yeah. I'm just a loyal, dedicated, you know, I was always trying to help him. I felt bad he was working so much. So I'd go in on my own and, and then it just evolved into more. That's great. Yeah. Do you have any advice for those who have their sights set on your job in the future? Or perhaps I'm getting older, the same job for a different <laughs> yeah. company. You know, I think it's um, a couple things. One is always be true to yourself. You know, I think um, it's interesting because um, a CEO is not right for everybody. Some people Mm. probably would love to have my job. People that know it very, very well would say, oh, no, hell no, no, thank you. Because it's very complex and it has a lot of moving parts, a lot of personalities. But I would just say be true to yourself and always listen. There's no way Pinnacle could be Pinnacle today if I didn't have amazing people 
to drive it. Hmm. And sometimes in the beginning, you know, like I said, I'm a bit older now, but, you know, I remember thinking, you know, maybe I like in my early, uh, late 20s, I have to make the decision. No, you don't. You know, pro- and you don't, you're not close enough to everything. So allow the people around you to, to make decisions. They're part of it. They, they realize, you know, Pinnacle has gained so much momentum over the last couple of years because of the leadership team that's in place. I'm proud to say. Mm. Yeah. I'll ask you one last question that unfortunately we're out of time. You said you're a basketball player. You're not a gambler. Do you have to love sports to be a CEO of the most, one of the most successful sports betting organizations? Um, I think the answer is no, but I used to be, I used to know every player from every team, basketball, football. Mm-hmm. I was so into it. I would watch games constantly. I would schedule my game, my, my classes around <laughs> no night, no night classes. But then when you get in it and you're working, seven days a week, 12 hours a day. The last thing you're doing is uh, is watching the game. I do love watching like the Euros and and all the, the bigger games and tennis I love to watch, but you don't have to. You know, we have traders that don't love the sports mm. and they're some of the best traders in the world. It's not about the sports. It's about the numbers. I mean, for some companies, the way they trade, it might have to be that. And of course, some jobs within the organization do require a passion for sports, but not the CEO. But a passion for leading. Passion for people. You're the second CEO who's told me that. My king also said you don't have to love sports to love running a sports betting organization. Sorry, who said that? Matt King, FanDuel. Yeah. 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 So good perspective there. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. My sincerest thanks to you, Paris, for being so open with us, for telling your stories and giving us the opportunity to learn more about your take on leadership. Thank you. Thank you so much. This has been the seventh episode of SBC Leaders Podcast. I'm Kelly King, Global Relationship Director for SBC. You can subscribe to the series on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, or watch direct on gamblingtv.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.